1: Bring in
2: show music,
0: please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Inflation's big number, the consumer price index, where the markets are going next, and the silver linings in your bank account with Bank of America's Liz Everett-Crisper. I have a lot of
3: reasons to be optimistic right now.
0: President Biden restricting some US investment into China and China firing back. The real implications with venture capitalist and investor in Chinese
4: tech Mitchell Green. I think it's a lot of political theater personally and I think it's coming across both sides of the aisle in the United States. Here's the reality of it. We need China as much as they need us.
0: And a virtual world with very real questions about cash flow online and on Wall Street.
2: My kids do love Dave Kazuki. Robux is a currency in my
1: household.
0: Roblox CEO Dave Bazuki, builderman himself. His stock is down, but his confidence is up.
1: We're familiar with using messaging, with using video communication. Ultimately, the next form of communication is going to be immersive 3D.
0: It's Thursday, August 10th, 2023. SquawkPod begins right now.
2: Stand under by in three, two, one. Cue Ander. Good morning, and welcome to Squawk Box. Right here on CNBC, we're live at the Nasdaq Market Site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin, hanging out with the one and only Kelly Evans. Can we do it? <laughs> we can do it. We can do it. Joe and Becky are off today, but we got so much to talk about. Thank you for uh, waking up early.
5: I just want—I to I feel like I can—I can offer a couple personal anecdotes at 6 a.m. You know?
2: Yeah, would you like to?
5: I have such a bad canker sore right now on my tongue <laughs> that That's... if I start talking as if I've had a couple of beverages.
2: I see. Okay, well, we'll just, uh, we have great sympathy for canker sores. <laughs> is this the thing you struggle I, with? I, I know, but I've had them before, and when <laughs> I have, I've had great sympathy.
6: <laughs> well, tech weighing on the major averages today.
2: Market press still negative, though, as the uh, the tape seems a little indecisive heading into the...
5: I mean, we are down five days out of six in the S&P.
2: That is the, so That is the case.
5: To see the markets finally showing, you know, a little bit of green this morning, you just wonder. It's going into the CPI print, and the, the tone in the market, the mood, it just feels like it's changed. It looks like we were down, yeah, half a percent, one percent of the Nasdaq yesterday. So you're we've saying been you think losing. you
2: think right? No, but you think the mood is a bearish, a, a mini bear.
5: I do, totally. I, I think that a lot of yeah people, I think, are looking at this and going, the question is not, is it a break in the trend? But like, how much of a break? and Or how is this far? just like,
2: let me take some cash off the table because I was waiting for so long for things to go up.
5: And, and when I say break in the trend, I don't mean the rally's over. Right.
2: But you know, when
5: we were talking to all the you know, different chartists or people, they go 10% pullback would feel pretty healthy right now. So if we're down a couple, two and a half, maybe 3% from the highs, um, yeah, I, I thought it was noteworthy that Tom Lee, I think it was on this program as well, was talking about after that one week yep. hundred point. Yep. You know, he's like now maybe a little more choppy, and I wonder if we're in the the chop. The Consumer Price Index rose
0: 3.2% from a year ago in July, a sign that inflation has lost at least some of its grip on the U.S. economy. CPI is the most closely watched measure of inflation. It takes into account a basket of consumer goods and services like shelter, food, gas prices, airline fares, car insurance, all the costs that come out of your pocket every month. Now, this report has been so high profile since inflation hit a 40-year high last summer, and the U.S. Federal Reserve started an aggressive rate-hiking strategy to combat higher prices. Still, July's report had some signs of stickiness. Excluding food and energy, which are very volatile, the core CPI reading was up 4.7% on an annualized basis. That is far above the Fed's target rate, their goal of 2% inflation, before the central bank can back off the gas pedal. I'll send it back to Kelly Evans now.
5: Let's talk a little bit about the impact we're seeing on the consumer. Credit card spending did bounce back in July. New data from Bank of America shows an increase of uh, 0.1% year-on-year from June's decline. The jump due to the 4th of July holiday spending, maybe a little of the, the Amazon effect. Uh, retail promotions, movie mania as well, Barbie merchandise. The B of A monthly consumer checkpoint gives us real-time estimates of Americans' financial behavior because it has data from 68 million consumer and small business accounts. And joining us now is Liz everett Chris head of the Bank of America Institute. It's great to see you again. Great to be here. Thanks, Kelly. So what do you think on the consumer? I mean, yesterday or this week, we've gotten reports about how 401k hardship withdrawals are up and there's different signs of delinquencies rising in some parts, you know, uh, of the credit space. And yet it looks like spending
3: is back, you know, hitting a positive inflection point. Spending is back to positive. I think when you look at our overall data, you're seeing positives in spending. You're seeing positives in income gains across... All income cohorts, so wages are coming in higher. And then the other thing you're seeing, I always look at what sort of deposit buffers, you know, checking and savings account, do people still have money and continue to be well in excess of where they were in 2019?
5: So why, maybe I'm making too much of this report, why are 401k hardship withdrawals at a high when people
3: have historically more savings than they ever had? Well, it's a great question. And one of the things that we looked at when we were thinking about the deposit balances is is we keep on talking about how this is really in excess of 2019, but we did a couple of scenario analysis to say, all right, what if spending accelerates? What if, what if, what if? And in every scenario, in every scenario, lower, middle, and higher income households still had more money in their accounts through beyond 2024. Wow. Then they wow. Yeah. Yeah. And now now let's take it one step further, because we're talking about inflation this morning, right? what if we inflation adjust 2019 right if we do that even then the lower income cohort still doesn't dip below the inflation adjusted number until september of 2024 it's really interesting
5: and i guess the question becomes okay so has inflation already you know put consumers on the back foot here or not and then what is that going to mean for the continued strength of the labor market, the Fed rate right. hikes we were just talking
3: about. Well, here's how I think about the labor market. One of the things that we're able to look at is inflows into accounts. So your after-tax wages, plus your salary, plus your bonus, plus any other way you're getting income, right? And in that scenario, we continue to see growth, across. but interestingly, so about 2 to 3% for lower and middle-income households. Higher-income households, as recently as May, were actually contracting, but mm-hmm. in July, they're back up four-tenths. That's still a lot slower than lo- lower in the middle-income household, but it's still growing. Right. So that's one of the things we need to think about.
2: When I ask you a we- and I, and I, I don't mean for this to be a political question, but you look at all these polls around the country, and people seem to think that the economy is doing terribly. Yeah. And I'm so curious how you square that relative to the, the numbers that you see in, in the checking and banking accounts?
3: We have, we, when we have our editorial board and we think about what we're gonna investigate and what we're gonna look at, we look at the headlines and we say, okay, everyone seems to have these dismal things. Is this true? And we go back and we look at the data and we let the data drive the discussion. And frankly, I have a lot of reasons to be optimistic right now.
2: So, so can you explain it then?
3: Well, how, some of it is, could be sentiment right? If people are thinking, oh, inflation's really, you know, awful. They don't, people don't necessarily, I mean, I hate to say this, not that people don't know what they're feeling because they are feeling that things maybe aren't as great. But, you know, if I said to you, gas prices went up, how did you change your spending? Would you know? I don't know that everyone necessarily knows how they're making their decisions. And we're able to see it in real time. we
2: We always say that people vote with their pocketbook. They vote with their wallet, right? That they and that their feelings are real and, yeah. we, we, and we oh and we, they we. are
3: and they are but i think what we're seeing is the reality you're continuing to see income gains right so you're continuing to see money in your account the market still doing pretty good
2: right
3: consumers holding up pretty they're holding up they're not
5: happy about it i mean we saw the consumer sentiment survey bottom in june of 22 when inflation hit its high so ironically consumer sentiment is higher now than it right. was at peak inflation right. But, you know, I was at the grocery store the other day and a few things have now reaccelerated back to prices from like a year. It, it just it doesn't feel good. And so you say, well, but, you know, you can afford it. Okay, I can afford it, but it, it makes me feel
3: unsettled and angsty and mad. And I think that's what is probably being captured. Well, here's in. the thing. I think that even if everyone feels great, it doesn't feel great, but then they have the money, they're going to react that way. But what we're actually seeing is that the spending is continuing. I mean, yes. as you pointed out, we accelerated for the first time in three months, right? So people are, they may not be talking about how they're doing it, but they are certainly still spending.
2: It just goes so against the narrative that everybody's living some kind of YOLO life. They're putting it on their credit cards. But I mean, we seriously, the credit card piece, but that, 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 that.
3: Well, here's the thing that's really interesting that happened this month. Yep. We've always, we talked for the past year about the shift from goods to services. They want to go on trips. They haven't been able to go on trips this month. Goods, was positive for the first time in over a year. So maybe oh the trough of good spending is behind us and maybe mm. that transition from goods to services. is exactly what the bulls are hoping about the ISM manufacturing surveys right. and the
5: industrials
3: and all the
2: rest yeah. of it.
5: But
3: services is still up, so maybe we're back to the pre-pandemic
2: okay. normal.
3: Liz, thank you very much. You've got the
5: data, she's got the numbers, everybody. We appreciate it this morning.
2: Let's talk about this one. Take a look at shares of Roblox. I hate to say it because, you know, I love I love playing games on Roblox. Stock plunging um, 22% in yesterday's session. You're looking at right now, it's a $29.99. except for the company's quarterly results missing on the top and bottom lines. Roblox saying it's, its expenses increased from a year ago. That includes corporate overhead, developer exchange fees, infrastructure, and personnel costs. The company also saying it expects to continue to report losses for the foreseeable future. And that's really, I think... Uh, what sent this stock down we 're going to talk all about this if you 've got questions, send them our way because the CEO of Roblox himself, David Buzuki, all the kids know him and love him it 's an exclusive interview, and I will tell you that uh, my, my kids do love David Buzuki. whenever whenever we they have him on the, the, the show Yes, this is the one we 've listened to how I built this with David Buzuki. I mean david and by the way, David plays some of the games he has a character name there's a he sort of has a oh, um, not a burner account, but they know who he is. And so everybody's very David bazuki crazy in the best way possible.
5: I'm glad you're. So, I mean, I am not in this era yet. Roblox to me is still this mysterious. Is it's it coming. a video? Like, I, yeah.
2: I, it's, it's sort of a metaverse. You're building your own universes. There's something very collaborative, and I guess we'll have to ask fun.
5: him about this. But I'm curious, just what you have experienced? Yep. Is engagement down post-pandemic? Because it seems like the whole story here is not that this is some sort of business issue. It's just that people aren't. I think as much engagement's as they were. still
2: increasing. It's just not, uh, you know, parabolic like mm-hmm. what we saw during. Fair. The pandemic and now the question is how do you monetize all of these users and they they're bringing a lot more other brands onto the service people are doing concerts and you can buy shoes and there's a whole you know robux is a currency you know in my that household I'm aware,
5: yeah that so, i've heard about but it, it's amazing how we all kind of eye roll at meta and facebook and the metaverse and this and that but like what you're describing is basically the vision of what that whole space is going to be and they're already there
2: and they're already there that yeah. is true Interesting. that is true
5: Uh, By the way, since the IPO is still down 33%.
2: Yep. Cheese will be next. next.
0: Coming up next on Squawk Pod, President Biden's executive order cracking down on U.S. investment in China. Andrew and Kelly sit down with tech venture capitalist and Alibaba investor
2: Mitchell Green. It's not as if we are going to starve these companies or capital and that they don't have access to capital from other places in the world. That's 100% correct. not like the Europeans or other people. People in the Middle East
4: aren't
7: going to come and fill the void. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at slash now.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin.
2: Welcome back to Squawk Box, a developing story in Beijing. It is responding to President Biden's latest executive order targeting foreign investment in China. We talked about this yesterday, notably in AI, quantum computing and semiconductors. Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing. Good morning.
6: Hey, Andrew. Well, Chinese officials have been criticizing the president's investment curbs uh, for uh, certain critical technology, uh, saying that their government is gravely concerned and resolutely opposes these measures. Uh, the foreign ministry said that Beijing lodged what they describe as solemn representations or complaints to the U.S. Also, the Commerce Ministry had added that China reserves the right to take countermeasures. However, the Chinese have held off on taking countermeasures, suggesting to some that Beijing is looking at not to disrupt the current detente that they have with the U.S. The Biden administration order would restrict U.S. investors like private equity uh, venture capital from putting their money into what the Biden administration has described as narrow subsets of sensitive technology like quantum computing. Uh, semiconductors, as well as certain AI, which the Biden administration is concerned could potentially end up in Chinese military systems. Uh, These measures are set to take effect after a 45-day commentary, a public commentary period, which is being highlighted by the state media here. It also would apply only to new investments. But even though the Biden administration has been describing these measures as narrow, the message is being sent, which is a much bigger bigger signal uh, to the Chinese as well as to U.S. investors, that U.S. investors should not be putting their money into uh, high-tech Chinese tech development. Guys?
2: Eunice, uh, thank you for that report. It's, it's fascinating to see this sort of back and forth and uh, we will keep our eyes on it. We're going to talk about it uh, a little bit more in just a moment. Meantime, shares of Alibaba, because adjusted earnings coming in above expectations, revenue growing 14% year over year, and also topping estimates. Alibaba also bought back roughly $3.1 billion in American depository shares during the quarter. And look at that stock up. It's, it's now about $99.50. Um, worth noting, and uh, credit to Kelly Evans, Dan Loeb uh, made a big investment, it appears, from some of the filings uh, back in May, or at least the quarter before that filing came out. Uh, Michael Burry, also famously of The Big Short, uh, looks like a a, a baba holder. Of course, we we will not know until some of the next filings come out, but um, a couple of winners potentially uh, in the BABA space this morning.
5: Just a quick note on that, because it, BABA had been as much a loved part of Fang by a lot of the major right. hedge funds in recent years. Then, of course, it ran into more trouble, mm-hmm. um, which makes this an interesting juncture for it.
2: Totally. Uh, Join us right now to talk Alibaba earnings and the president's executive orders, Mitchell Green, uh, founding partner of Lead Edge Capital. He's an investor in China's uh, tech, including Alibaba and Ant Group, as well as other companies like Uber um, and others. Good morning to you.
4: Morning. Thanks for having me on.
2: You want to talk Baba first? You want to talk about what's going on with the politics of China? <laughs> they, they all relate in some ways. Either or. What what do you, what you let's, let's hit Baba first because uh, at about 100 bucks right now, do you think it's fairly valued? What do you think is going on here? Look, it,
4: relative to historical, it's fairly cheap. But when it, I think the first day of the IPO, it was around 90 bucks, right? It's amazing how big the company has grown over the years. Yeah, where the stock is. However, all this stuff got hammered over the last 18 months. If you compare it to Tencent, Baba, Baidu. All these things. Numbers are pretty good. I think EBITDA was up 32%. They're also going to be, I think, you know, Joe Tsai and the management team, you know, Joe's coming back as chairman. Daniel, the CEO, is gonna step in as, uh, he's gonna run the cloud computing group, which he's always been super passionate about. I think that's probably good for the stock. And, you know, a few months ago, they announced that they were splitting it up into like six different divisions. I think they're trying to, they're trying to unlock value to get the stock higher. They think it's cheap. I mean, they bought back $3 billion plus the stock.
2: But how much now let's overlay the politics (laughs) to this, because that's a huge piece of this. So if the Biden administration is now telling private equity and venture capital, you can't own technology companies, what's effectively or certain types of technology companies? What's to say that in a couple of months, mark your calendar, I don't know when, that somebody calls you up or or not even calls you up. You read that you read something come across the tape. It says it literally the headline, Mitchell, you got to get out. What do you think? What do you think the chances are, are that happens?
4: I don't think it's zero. Um, I think you what you are seeing here. I think you're going to see more rhetoric. You know, the presidential elections are in the next you know, twenty-four months. You're going to see more rhetoric against China. We can't get out of our own way. It appears. I think. I think a lot of these, a lot of investors are nervous about that headline, and that's why they. These are companies are trading at the multiples where they do.
5: Although I just wonder if there's been at all a sentiment turn in China where uh, as Derek scissors pointed out the other day, Chinese authorities for the first time asked companies, including tech companies, explain where you think your company has benefited society? And is that just cracking the door open to their understanding that they need to support these companies instead of you know fighting them, basically?
4: I'm not friends with the premier, so I don't really know at the end of the day and everybody is pontificating, but I do agree with you. That there appears, if you look in from the outside, that the Chinese government does realize it needs these large tech companies in order to get out of the doldrums that it's in and grow. However, they can't stop the U.S. government. Let's so was say, do you
2: see anything that would actually change this particular dynamic that seems to be at play now? You,
4: I, don't think, I think you're going to hear more rhetoric coming Not into less. the election
2: from the U.S. government.
4: I think you probably might see potentially less reaction back from China because uh-huh. uh, they, they need these big tech companies. But again, right. nobody can tell you the Why answer. Your that sense of What up. at
2: least seems to me to be a remarkable inconsistency, which is, is likely you're going to have these venture capital firms and private equity firms not be able to invest in certain types of businesses, and yet very similar kinds of businesses, or if in fact these businesses decide to go public or, or, or come to the public markets in some other way, that the same investors can get into them.
4: That'll be interesting. The real question will be when these, you know, co- these smaller companies that private equity or venture capitalists are in, can, can, could historically invest in right. China. If they do go public in Hong Kong or on the you know, exchanges, will then the U.S. government then tell you you can't own the stock? in right. them? What's to say that you can't own the stock in Alibaba?
2: Do you understand the. Um, it, let me ask it this way. Is this theater to you or is this real? Because what I can't figure out <laughs> is it's not as if we are going to starve these companies or capital of capital and that they don't have access to capital from other places in the world. That's 100% correct. It's not like the Europeans or other people. People in the Middle East aren't going to come and fill the void
4: and invest in these great companies. I think it's a lot of political theater personally. But, uh, and I think it's coming across both, both sides of the aisle in the United States. Here's the reality of it. We need China as much as they need us. So why is the but why
2: is the investor community not more vocal on this issue?
4: I think they I think they are behind the scenes. Some of the lobbying organizations in Washington are I think are probably pretty pretty vocal on this stuff. It's a it's a tough issue, and I think that that
2: is why these stocks trade where they are. Right. But the other piece of this is you know I know actually a lot of venture capitalists and private equity guys, and by the way, hedge funds and others who say. Investing in China has always been not only a very risky business, but even when things go well, it's not always clear that you can get out.
4: Yeah, but people have said that for years. I first invested in Alibaba, I think, around $6.75 a share back in 2011. Okay, so you have the profits to prove we'll, we'll it. Profit. And I will tell you, back then, people would have the same kind of reaction to China as you're getting now. So, so there's always been a But the stock of market
5: overall peaked in 2007. It has in general been a terrible investment. So yes, you have you're to right. be really selective well, about well, well, what to pick.
4: Well, think about it. I mean, Alibaba I think what public went public when it's 68 dollars a share. It's the pop to low 80s, I think day 1 if you were a retail investor exactly. and you bought the stock day one of the IPO, you're up
5: 10 dollars. Yeah, it's been a horrible it's been a horrible years? IRR.
2: Yeah. A horrible IRR. Okay. Is there a company in China that's available on the, the markets here in the US that you like?
4: We think I think Alibaba is a really interesting business at these prices here. I think it's cheap. I think there are risks that you highlighted. I think an incredible company that's obviously in the news around all this regulation. I'm surprised they haven't gone after this is Bite Dance,
2: right. which is a huge investment incredibly the yeah. well how do you think that ByteDance has managed to, to sort of I mean ByteDance has been in the in the headlines and yet people it,
0: love TikTok
2: well right? yes but also you would argue that's an a I mean that's an algorithm AI driven remember they were it's talking about popular, banning TikTok right? too. no I think it's
4: because if if they owned came in large
2: out, part by private equity in the U.S. by the way
4: correct uh if they were if they were to ban TikTok I think the millennial would generation would, would like, literally would start voting against, Yeah, they would start voting. They would Correct. start voting. If you want you millennials to vote, do that. Well, I, and I, I'm ki- I kid you not, I think that would do it. I think that's probably one of the reasons. Right. I think a huge amount of this has become highly politi- politicized, and you're, it's going to ramp up right. even more into the election. Well,
2: that's interesting. We've always, we're always trying to get young people to vote. This might be, <laughs> this might be the way. Uh, Mitchell, thank you for coming in this morning. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks
0: still to come into the metaverse. The Roblox results that disappointed Wall Street and the virtual future the game company is building that goes far beyond games. It's Roblox CEO, Dave Bazuki.
1: There is a new immersive form of advertising, not just images, not just videos, but the ability for you and me and our friends, if we happen to be in Roblox, to go visit a brand we love. And that could be a brand like NASCAR, that could be a brand like NARS Cosmetics.
0: Squawk Pod. will be right back.
7: Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary workday until
3: the Singapore presentation is at three a.m.
7: The office was shocked.
3: But that's when we sleep.
7: Maya made it less scary with Canva.
3: <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime.
7: Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at Canva.com. Designed for work.
0: You're listening to Squawk Pod.
2: Up in Andrew. Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Kelly Evans hanging out uh, for the three hours, all three hours. And then you're going to come on from one to three, right? I'm looking forward to yeah. that. Okay. Um, Joe and Becky are off today. Shares of gaming platform Roblox are up this morning, but that follows a more than 20% plunge yesterday. This after the company reported bookings that missed analyst estimates and a wider than expected loss. Losses also grew year over year, Roblox blaming that on, quote, higher levels of expense required to support the growth of the business. Joining us right now in an exclusive interview is Roblox CEO Dave Buzuki. Dave, it's great to see you. I always tell you my sons love the company, we love the company, but as you know, uh, some folks in the markets don't love the company at least as much as they did, and I want to talk about that this morning. Uh, Barron's has a piece with the headline, Roblox stock has lost almost all of its 2023 gains What's going wrong? So I'm gonna put a question mark at the end of that and ask you that question. Andrew, thanks for having
1: me on the show. And I wanna highlight, we, we've we always talked about building a platform to support and connect a billion people every day with optimism and civility. This quarter, we're continuing well on our way to that. We had 22% bookings growth. We had 24% year on year hours growth. And in many of the big cohorts where there's enormous headroom, such as international, uh, where we grew 40% in India and over 100% in Japan, and also in older users where we grew 36% for 17 through 24, we really show, if not continuing growth, accelerating growth. So we're growing really well, we're generating cash, and we shared that we're going to continue to show more and more operating leverage uh, in Q3 when we expect to grow faster than our infra expense, and in Q1 of 2024 when we expect to grow faster than our headcount expense. So for us, it was a solid quarter on our really the direction to our vision. Were you surprised at the
2: reaction by the market?
1: Um, I don't want to, you know, it's hard to predict what um you know how the market works we have a lot of really you know great long term shareholders and you know we're generating cash we're starting to lay on more and more leverage uh we're going to show and predict to show double digit ebitda growth in Q4 and all through 2024 So uh, really, we're running on all cylinders, and we're growing in four different directions.
2: What what is the distinct timeline and path to profitability? I mean, I think underneath all of the questions that investors have is that fundamental question,
1: right? Yeah, and and it's a great question because based on GAAP accounting rules, we defer over 28 months all of the revenue we make when we sell virtual items on Roblox. It's why... We run the business more on cash, and it's why we can show $3 billion of cash and continuing to generate cash even when we show gap losses. So we do, in our letters, say that's how we run the business, and we continue to grow both our bookings and our cash.
2: How much do you think this is an issue about managing costs uh, and the like versus just where, what the growth rate of this company uh, can be, and we were Kelly and I were talking. One of the things we just talked about was just how during the pandemic, I mean, things were parabolic, and, and that things are not as not as parabolic as they were. They're still obviously growing and growing fast, but on a relative basis, m-
1: maybe things feel different. I don't know. Yeah, things for us were well beyond the pandemic, thankfully, and our year-on-year compares right now continue to show strong growth, even in this more normal world. We are going to show more and more leverage over time. We think you know that's going to be appealing to some investors and continue to grow more and more cash. So it may just, you know, we continue to feel very optimistic about the business. we're We're launching our immersive ad platform, which is really exciting. We'll add growth on the economic side, and we think that's a visionary approach. And we continue to bring in new innovations that are going to make Roblox something we use every day to communicate with friends and loved ones. So we continue to innovate. We continue to do what we do, which is build, you know, great innovative product that brings people together. Um, let me ask
2: you about that. When you say t- the advertising piece, is, it looks like it's actually going to ramp quickly. So I wanted to speak to that and also the in-app purchase piece um we were talking about you know Ro- robux
1: and just what what a big business that has become yeah on the on the advertising piece our our vision and we we think it's going to come to play is that there is going to be a new and there is a new immersive form of advertising not just images not just videos but the ability for you and me and our friends, if we happen to be in Roblox, to go visit uh, a brand we love, and that could be a brand like NASCAR, that could be a brand like NARS Cosmetics. A- and we think going and experiencing a brand together in 3D, whether we try things on, whether we, um, you know, hop in a NASCAR, a racing car and drive around, we think that's going to be really something uh, people love with brands. In the early signs, we, we've seen some areas on Roblox where there's more demand than supply for these types of advertising units. And we've seen 19% of the developers on the Roblox platform start to put these ad units in their experiences. These are these are not blocking, they, they're not pre-roll, they don't get in our face. They're, they're fun things we can do when we're traversing together on Roblox. And on the economy, we continue to see great growth in the Roblox economy. And one of the big innovations we're gonna be bringing forward at the end of the year is in addition to clothing and in hats and, and all the other things we wear, our economy is gonna open up to full-on avatars. So we're gonna start having a much wider range of who we can be on the platform. So there's a lot of opportunity for growth there in addition to international right. and age up and our advertising platform.
2: You, you talked about the messaging piece of this and I I heard an analyst say this is like this is a snap, this is Snapchat for truly young people. What what where does that all go in your mind?
1: Yeah, we think we think this is really much much bigger than Um, that type of thing. We believe what we're doing at Roblox is going to ultimately come to bear to be the next form of communication, just as we're very familiar with using the phone, or we're familiar with using messaging, or right now we're familiar with using video communication. Ultimately, uh, the next form of communication is going to be immersive 3D. And what we see people doing when they play on Roblox will be something we use for more spontaneous connections, something we do in our office when we're working together, something we use when we go to concerts. It, it, it's why we're optimistic about a billion people every day using our technology. Uh,
2: Dave, otherwise known as Builder Man, uh, for those folks who uh, play on Roblox, thank you for joining us this morning. Next time you thank come you, on man. maybe as as Builderman, the avatar. Um, I could come on as my avatar someday. That would be fun. Th- that we're going to, okay. We'll Do work, the interview in the we'll, metaverse. That's what I'm saying. We'll, yeah. we'll work on that. Got to thank you for waking up early and hanging out. Thank
5: you for having me. Not as thank early you. as the California, after hearing those stories, I'm like, wow.
2: It was a ball. This isn't so bad. Appreciate it very, very much. <laughs> Make sure you join us tomorrow. Wake up early with us again.
0: Tomorrow, you can catch Squawk Box live, bright and early on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Or you can come back here to Squawk Pod to get the highlights of that three-hour broadcast, plus a little extra. Just don't forget to follow us wherever you're listening so you never miss a moment of the biggest headlines in business and politics with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. As always, thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
2: We are clear. Thanks, guys.
7: From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway.